This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. No deal. President Trump says he had to walk away from North Korea. Are they now right back? where they started. And once again, the president takes the word of an authoritarian leader, despite what the facts say. Plus new allegations against the president from his longtime personal attorney. And this time it's all public. This is the State of America. There are reports of seismic activity in North Korea. Scientists say the weekend blast is the most powerful nuclear explosion North Korea ever achieved. They will be met with fire and fury like the world has never seen. A moment a lot of Americans never thought would come. The president of the United States shaking hands with the North Korean leader. And then we fell in love. Okay. No, really. He wrote me beautiful letters. President Trump is on his way to Vietnam, where he'll meet for a second time with the North Korean dictator. The president predicts a, quote, very tremendous summit. No deal. The second summit between President Trump and North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un abruptly ended without an agreement. I'm Kate Baldwin in New York. To our viewers watching around the world, this is State of America. After a historic first face-to-face meeting, the first for any American president, after threatening complete annihilation and then also saying they were in love, President Trump and North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un have had the definition of a complicated relationship, trading insults one day and love letters the next. After all of this buildup, Trump and Kim simply walked away. Sometimes you have to walk, and uh, this was just one of those times. So no deal. That was the only result from the high-stakes second sit-down over North Korea's nuclear program. No deal and not even a lunch. The table was literally set, as you see there, but the leaders called it quits and headed home with nothing to show for it. But before we can figure out where this thing goes from here, we need to go back to how this started. North Korea... Best not make any more threats to the United States. They will be met with fire and fury like the world has never seen. That was August of 2017. Trump upping the ante just a few weeks later, speaking before the world at the U.N. General Assembly. The United States has great strength and patience. But if it is forced to defend itself or its allies, we will have no choice but to totally destroy North Korea. Rocket Man is on a suicide mission for himself. Kim then hitting back, calling the 70-plus-year-old Trump, quote, a mentally deranged U.S. dotard, saying also that Trump is unfit, rogue, and a gangster. The two men even traded insults over their respective nuclear buttons in January of 2018. And I am not kidding here. Kim saying this, quote, it's not a mere threat, but a reality that I have a nuclear button on the desk in my office. And Trump responding in kind. 
I too have a nuclear button, but it is a much bigger and more powerful one than his. And my button works. You cannot make this stuff up. We never can. That's why this job is so fun. And then at almost the exact same time, Trump told the world essentially it's all good. In an interview with The Wall Street Journal, this, quote, I probably have a very good relationship with Kim Jong-un. I have relationships with people. I think you people are surprised. Surprised? Certainly. Considering how these two men were literally threatening nuclear war, but then just as quickly, a drastic diplomatic shift, no longer enemies, now making plans to meet. He expressed his eagerness to meet President Trump as soon as possible. President Trump appreciated the briefing and said he would meet Kim Jong-un by May. That first summit in Singapore last year was big on pomp and circumstance, no question, and big on promises as well, a signing ceremony and all. It's a very great moment in the history of the world. And Chairman Kim is on his way back to North Korea. And I know for a fact, as soon as he arrives, he's going to start a process that's going to make a lot of people very happy and very safe. Leaving Singapore, the U.S. and North Korea had agreed to well, something of the following. One, well, to keep talking, good news. Two, committing to work toward complete denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. Three, return the remains of U.S. soldiers from the Korean War. And finally, suspend U.S. and South Korea joint military exercises, immediately leaving many to question how much progress did they really make? Did North Korea agree to anything? I worry that the president's given up a lot up front. The legitimacy that Kim Jong-un now has meeting with the president of the United States are two flags flying together, uh, backing away from maximum pressure and, of course, undermining, backing away from these joint exercises with South Korea without even having the decency to tell our South Korean allies he planned to do that. Regardless, President Trump quickly declared that North Korea was no longer a nuclear threat. Despite almost all evidence to the contrary, Trump continued to tout his close personal relationship with Kim. I like him, he likes me. And then we fell in love, okay? No, really. He wrote me beautiful letters. And they're great letters. We fell in love. Yeah. Yeah. Now, fast forward to the big second summit this week in Hanoi, Vietnam. Once again, pomp and circumstance and a whole lot of buildup. I'm hopeful that when President Trump and Chairman Kim get together, they'll make a big step towards realizing what Chairman Kim promised. He promised he'd denuclearize. We hope he'll make a big step towards that in the week ahead. But a big step they did not make. Talks breaking down over sanctions and more. Basically, uh, they wanted the sanctions lifted in their entirety, and we couldn't do that. North Korea somewhat disputes that. Regardless, the summit brought no progress. It is a step back. This is a setback. Um, but it's also uh, when you're not getting what you want, a uh, way to negotiate is, is, is you walk a bit. But there was one major change to come from the second meeting. President Trump shifting his position on the death of American college student Otto Warmbier. Warmbier was held in a North Korean prison for a year and a half for removing a propaganda poster from the wall of a hotel there. He was 22 years old. When he was eventually released in 2017, he was in a coma and died days later, with no believable explanation coming from the North Koreans. His death became a symbol of the oppressive regime in North Korea. 
Otto's parents were guests of President Trump's at his 2018 State of the Union address. You are powerful witnesses to a menace that threatens our world, and your strength truly inspires us all. Thank you very much. Thank you. And now, Trump says he believes Kim Jong-un. I don't believe that he would have allowed that to happen. Just wasn't to his advantage to allow that to happen. Those prisons are rough. They're rough places. And bad things happened. But I really don't believe that he was... uh, he, He... I don't believe he knew about it. He tells me that he didn't know about it. And I will take him at his word. That has become a bridge too far for even some of the president's staunchest allies and and advocates for his approach toward North Korea. This is reprehensible that what he just did. I mean, he he gave cover, as you said, to to a leader who knew very well what was going on with Otto Warmbier. And and again, I don't understand why the president does this. I am disappointed to say the least that he did it. So what impact does this have on any negotiation to get North Korea to give up its nuclear program? We don't know. We just do know that while a nuclear-free North Korea would make the world a safer place, taking the word of a brutal dictator over the facts does not. Still ahead for us, the president says that he believes Kim Jong-un, as we've just discussed. Now Otto Warmbier's family lays out what they believe about what they call the evil regime that killed their son. What does this say about the nuclear talks and what does this mean for the world? The panel is next. Coming out of the second meeting of the American president and the North Korean dictator, no signs of progress. But there are signs of something else, a growing controversy over the president after the president declared he's taking Kim Jong-un's word for it about the imprisonment of Otto Warmbier. Now, his family is speaking out, saying this. We have been respectful during this summit process. Now we must speak out. Kim and his evil regime are responsible for the death of our son, Otto. Kim and his evil regime are responsible for unimaginable cruelty and inhumanity. No excuses or lavish praise can change that. So now what? The panel with me tonight, Max Budis here. He's a CNN Global Affairs Analyst and Senior Fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations. Joe Borelli is a Republican member of the New York City City Council. Joe Lockhart is here. He's a CNN political commentator, former White House press secretary for President Bill Clinton. And Jackie Kucinich is a Washington bureau chief for The Daily Beast. Thank you guys so much for being here. This has been a remarkable week in everything that has gone down. Let us start with this moment when it comes to North Korea. Max, I... First and foremost, I think it is so sad that Otto Warmbier's parents, in the midst of all this, they don't, I can guess without speaking to them, they don't want to be in the spotlight over this, thrust back into the spotlight over the president, once holding them up as examples of the brutal regime, what the brutal regime can do, and now saying that he believes Kim Jong-un's word. I don't get it. Well, what it shows, Kate, I think for the umpteenth time, is that Donald Trump has no moral compass. And he doesn't mean anything that he says. Everything he says is for expediency. We saw that in the 2018 State of the Union where he was denouncing the way that the North Korean regime killed Otto Warmbier. And now he's praising his good friend Kim Jong-un and exonerating him from killing Otto Warmbier. This is disgusting. I mean, look, 
All presidents. Is there an in between? Is there? Yes, a- yes, there is an in between. I mean, all presidents have to deal with sometimes unsavory regimes, but you don't have to fawn over them or excuse their war crimes. When FDR met with Stalin, he didn't say, my good friend Joe had nothing to do with the famine in Ukraine, okay? You can deal with them, but don't endorse their wrongdoing, which is what Trump is doing. Joe, Kellyanne Conway went out to, to try to explain, she's counsel of the president, try to explain or offer some context about what the president meant. And basically the way that she tried to explain it um, is that he holds North Korea responsible, but he doesn't, he doesn't think that the North Korean leader knew it was happening, the condition that Otto Warmbier was in, didn't know it was happening at the time. I will say that every single person with expertise in the field of North Korean negotiations that I've spoken to have said it is inconceivable that Kim Jong-un wouldn't know about the status of the American that is in that, that he is holding. At the time, oh, North Korea was doing, you know, one test every 24 days, threatening the West. I think the capture of an American citizen would have been kind of high on Kim Jong-un's uh, daily briefings. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I do think the president did uh, give a little bit of a poor choice of words. I actually know Fred and Cindy Wambier, uh, and uh, they are very concerned with their son's legacy. And they've been very clear uh, in, in, in trying to step back and yeah. not interfere. But when they see their son's legacy sort of getting uh, interfered with like this, I think they, they have a right to speak out of it. I don't, know, I don't get the White House angle on this. I mean, Kellyanne Conway maybe put an impossible yeah, It was a position. poor choice of words. It, 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 addressing it as such would have been better. Just, yeah. But this, was, this is a pattern. I think is it, it, you saw the president make excuses for the Saudis and uh, the murder of uh, journalist Jamal uh, Khashoggi. You've seen him believe Putin's word over every single intelligence official in his own administration. And this is the third example where he's taking at least outwardly an authoritarian's word over pretty much everyone else's. Um, And if that's, like Lindsey Graham said yesterday, a way to try to maintain a place in in a negotiation. Well, everything for Donald Trump is... is, is Positioning for a negotiation. It's true, so, but but at at what cost? At yeah. the cost of how um, uh, American values, how um, the U.S. is viewed in the world. I mean that that's that's the or what question. this means for any American who's abroad, right? At all, if this is the well, position of the president, I mean, what is this? How I, does this all impact Joe? T- take this and move it forward. How does not just this one comment, but everything coming out or not coming out from the summit? What what, what do you see happening next? Uh, well, I mean, I think on the. One beer comment, it sends a signal to all of the bad actors in the world that you can do whatever you want. There's no cost. America has abdicated the moral high ground. Uh, and as long as you flatter Donald Trump, as long as you bring him in and do a ceremony, that you can get away with anything. And America has had the role in the world through our economic strength and through mm-hmm. our military strength to be able to impose from time to time morals, you know, or mores. And, you know, you can do this, but you can't do that. Trump has basically told dictators around the world, anything goes as long as you're nice to me. And that's that's that is a huge change. And I think the uh, I I, I do wonder if if just that statement, if it really does. I mean, if it's does, is that going to get Kim Jong-un any closer to giving no, up his nuclear no. program? I mean, this, this is the fundamental misconception that Donald Trump thinks he can flatter these dictators and they will make great deals with him. And we just saw that theory crash and burn in Hanoi. It doesn't matter how much he calls Kim Jong-un his good friend. Kim Jong-un is not going to give up his nuclear weapons. That, that, the way that Donald Trump personalizes these negotiations 
is not successful, and it's humiliating and embarrassing for him and for the United States. Were you surprised he walked away? I think a lot of folks were surprised. Yep. All of the talk going in was that he's going to give up the House right. in order to get something well, And that was the criticism success. from the, the 2018 summit back in June. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I'm not surprised, you know, if, if, if you get the, forgive the cliche, but if you read some of his books, The Art of the Deal, you, he always talks about how walking away is part of the process. Um, but I think, you know, you did see some tacit praise uh, from Nancy Pelosi and from other Democrats for saying this was the time to walk away. Maybe yeah. he should have walked away earlier, but this was a good time to walk away and, and ideally apply the same sanctions that uh, they had applied back in 2017. The I, I'd argue with one word there. It wasn't tacit praise. It was feigned praise. Uh, it, it was mocking <laughs> It was praise. polite. It was, well, yes. I will say, what is the lesson? I wonder what lesson is learned here. Does the top-down approach as he's been trying it, is he going to finally give that up and let the, the worker bees actually do their work before any next meeting, we will see. Stand by, because we've got a lot more to come. Coming up, it was a remarkable split-screen moment this week. The president overseas in these high-stakes nuclear talks, while at the same time back at home, his longtime personal attorney was testifying before Congress to say that Donald Trump broke the law and even did so while at the White House. Does Michael Cohen's revenge tour start some serious trouble for the president now? That is next. To your knowledge, did the president ever provide inflated assets to an insurance company? Yes. Who else knows that the president did this? Alan Weisselberg, Ron Lieberman, and Matthew Calamari. And where would the committee find more information on this? Do you think we need to review his financial statements and his tax returns in order to compare them? Yes, and you'd find it at the Trump Org. That was just one moment of the seven-plus-hour-long drama that played out on Capitol Hill this week when Michael Cohen, Trump's longtime attorney, testified that the president has broken the law. Democrats are promising to follow up with even more investigations on multiple fronts, to be quite honest. But where exactly is this going to lead? The panel is back with me. They all have ideas. Jackie, did Michael Cohen change the game here with, with, in terms of the investigations into the president and what happens now? I mean, I think... That moment where he was just listing names, he opened several new tributaries mm-hmm. of investigations. And um, you heard Elijah Cummings say that you know, several of these individuals will likely be asked to come before the committee. So in that way, yes. Now, the, the committees are being careful not to just take Cohen's word for it, mm-hmm. but there, there is paper backing up some of the claims that he made. So in that way, yeah, there is some substantive things that came out of this hearing. Joe, uh, do you think we now start hearing much more about congressional investigations and things that Cohen has brought up and and where this goes, uh, as opposed to the Mueller report and what will or the public won't see from that? That's how the game was changed this week. Uh, We don't know whether what's in the Mueller report. We don't know that we'll ever see the Mueller report. So there is a decent chance that they can bury that for the next year. Uh, and we move on to other things. What Michael Cohen did was to say, hold on a second. I mean, it was like um, the Congresswoman uh, Ocasio-Cortez mm-hmm. drove the bus up and Michael Cohen threw everyone of the Trump family under it. <laughs> um, because she laid out and then he laid out a roadmap for 
here are crimes that I believe he's committed that I think you should look at. Here are the witnesses. And you could see the Democrats on the committee saying, okay, we know what we're going to do for the next year. Mm -hmm. And we're going to watch that unfold. When it comes to the, there are several things, right? The things that were, there was allegations of insurance fraud and tax fraud. But when it comes to the one that I've been told by some attorneys that they, that Michael Cohen kind of wrapped up and put a bow on, it comes to the hush money payments, campaign finance violations, and a check that Michael Cohen produced that was written from Donald Trump's personal account since he has been in office. Does it concern you if the president violated campaign finance laws while in office? No more than any other candidate for federal office who violates campaign finance laws while in office or while running for office. But, but I think we just saw Joe do was, was do what the Democratic Party is trying to do overall, and that's move the goalpost from the Mueller investigation, because like you said, we don't know what's in it. Uh, and, there, and, and the lack of new leaks coming out, new uh, salacious ideas coming out of it, uh, seem to be putting a new emphasis now on Cohen. Think about how Michael Cohen's testimony was built. This is the guy. There was no one closer to the president. This was the gatekeeper. If anyone can bring Trump down, it's Michael Cohen. And yet here we are, after he cooperated with the Southern District, after he went to Robert Mueller, and all we have is his basically character attacks uh, and anecdotal stories about him and Donald Trump driving through African-American neighborhoods. I mean, this is not going to result in bringing down the president. This is going to lead to more investigations because you are right, because by naming names, by, by just giving the Democrats a path to investigate they would, further, they have that's to what we're going to do. Like they, were gonna do it anyway. they, would, they were going to do it anyway. Well, but Republicans would do it on the flip side as well. Of course, I mean, of course they would. Yeah. Go ahead, Max. No, I mean, I think I'm kind of amused by the spin coming from the Republican side of the aisle that there was a big nothing burger there when you had the president's former attorney implicating him in at least half a dozen felonies. This is, I, I, okay, I get it. We're kind of used to this with, 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 uh, with Donald Trump. We kind of expect him to be a wrongdoer. But this is not normal. This is kind of a John Dean moment from Watergate where the president's former consigliere is turning on him and naming him as somebody who has carried out these crimes. Now, we don't know if we have proof of that. We obviously need corroboration. There needs to be a lot more investigation. But this is, this is very significant, and I'm very dismayed at the way Republicans reacted because they, the Republicans on the committee and Republicans generally sh are basically showing they don't care the, the law if the president is breaking the law. The All law they care about is running protection for the president. He was already at the Southern District. He's already been investigated by federal prosecutors. He already had conversations with Robert Marla. Now, after the fact, we're at Congress, and now we're seeing well, a but side the, show. No, but there are still, at least according to Michael according Cohen, to Michael Cohen sure. there are ongoing investigations still. According to Michael Cohen. Right. And you look, he's a, he is a liar. So is the president. I, I, I would concede that. Yeah, I mean, like, it's, it's, a, but so Michael, it's like, which liar Cohen are you was, going to believe? Michael Cohen was testifying under oath. He's already going to prison for lying to Congress. He has major incentives not to lie again. Let's see Donald Trump and, testify under oath. In, I'd in, like to see that. But in but real even, time, you had journalists even, saying listen, he was lying. He, yeah. Whatever Michael Cohen's motives are, the idea that the Southern District of New York is done is ludicrous. They are not done. Uh, they'll have a lot more to say. And as far as moving goalposts, I'd, I'd just be literal about it. There's goalposts at both ends of the field. And all the Democrats are doing is exploring both. Like, well, remember, you, you, the, remember, the say, intel. I hate losing a metaphor. You, yeah, look, yeah. No, but look, I mean, Joe has a, a history of... of Getting in trouble for something where an investigation didn't didn't begin. When you I, look at Clinton, not, yeah, not I, Joe I, specifically, I, I, but Joe I, had to deal with Bill Clinton yeah. throughout impeachment, no, and that and I, is not how that investigation no, started. And, and again, it's it's you you can do both of these things, you know. And look at the two hearings that we don't know exactly what was said. The two closed door intel committee hearings. 
it came out of both of them. It came out of at least the House intel that there was a game. It was game changing. That um, one of the men. Is there any so, so there is much more to be said on Russia, but there's plenty more to be said on, on the Trump organization. And, Go ahead, I, and I don't know that the goalposts are moved as much as Republicans lost the ball, and now there's a new team on offense. And you knew that I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm here for you. I'm here for this yeah, metaphor. Ball throw. No, 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 this is Elections Have Consequences 101. Elections Have Consequences. That is a very good lesson to remember anytime, <laughs> all the time, because it drives every conversation coming out of Washington. We'll have that conversation again next week. Great to see you guys. Thank you so much. That's the State of America this week. Be sure to listen to our podcast. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or your favorite app, and we will see you back here next week. Thanks, guys. Um, I... When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.